Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Come on. Thank you. Take it away, Miss Lisa. (laughs) Thank you. It's so good to see all of you tonight. And I just want to say thank you for letting me grow before your eyes. Because as you're coming to Bible studies, I am learning how to teach Bible studies. And this week I have different technology and hopefully everything will work correctly for me, but I'm learning how to do this. So I just want to thank you for your grace. I listened to the podcast of the first week and I noticed at least four times where I just switched my words. Have you ever done that? And there's one word that you want to come out, but another one comes out. And in my family, they've just learned to interpret what I mean. And so hopefully you're just able to read my mind just like I expect Brian to. And when I say John, and I mean Jesus, you know what I mean. So just thank you for your grace. Once you're under the lights and with the mic, it's just no telling what will come out of your mouth. So thank you for your grace. So I'm going to open us up in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word, and and God, I thank you tonight for this lesson on the gifts that Jesus gives us, and God, I pray for each one that whatever need they have tonight, God, that, that these gifts would meet that need, that they would go home, God, with a shopping bag full of hope and a shopping bag full of courage a shopping bag full of your love and your joy and your peace and all the fruit of your spirit. God, I pray that they would be strengthened tonight through your word. And God, I pray that you would anoint me as a teacher, that I would rightly divide your word of truth. And we thank you for this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to review, if you were here um, Two weeks ago, and as well as last week, you know, we're studying the book of John, but we're doing a topical study. We're not doing line upon line, but we're doing topics. And the theme of the book of John is Jesus is the Christ, believe and live. And that comes from this verse. It's the key verse in the book of John. John very clearly states the purpose of why it was written. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's John 20, 30 through 31. So the word life is a key word in the book of John. It's used 36 different times. And what we're learning is that Jesus gives us life now and then also for eternity. So eternal life starts now. It starts now, which is hard to grasp, but it starts now. So I have a few commentaries that I use, and I mentioned mentioned them a couple weeks ago, but just to review, there's the pink commentary. So if I say pink said, it's Arthur Pink. There's the Zondervan NIV commentary that I use. And then what I have mostly this week is this um, commentary series by Warren Wearsby. 
Now, this commentary is written for the average person, so it is not a highly theological, you need advanced degrees to understand it. And I can study this, and I can write up all the notes, and I can spend one night with my highlighter, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I never looked at it that way. So it's written for the average person. These books are $10 on Amazon. It's called the B series. So this is, um, th there's two, part two of them for the book of John. So I buy one every time I teach a Bible study, and he just writes things, and my heart goes, wow, it's just amazing. So Warren Wearsby. And I do like to teach, I like to offer you a little Bible study nugget, because not only am I a Bible study teacher, and I love to teach the Word, but I love to teach people how to study it for themselves. So the method that I used, I've mentioned before, is the precept method. And if you want to get started, this is a little book called How to Study Your Bible by Kay Arthur. And so she goes over the things that you see me do up here. You see me, you see me ask questions of the text. You see me ask the five W's and an H, who, what, when, how, why, and where. You see me do word studies. You see us go to the commentaries. You see us list cross-references, and we make long lists. So all of those things, and, and even the harder stuff like verb, tense, and mood, and all of that, it's in here too. Arlene has been a precept person. I've been doing it, um, gosh, I think 20 years now. So it's just an amazing way to study your Bible, and anyone can do this. No advanced degrees required. Okay, so let's jump in. And I've titled this um, part of our Bible study series, Jesus Gives the Best Gifts. And it's going to be a two-parter because there are a lot of gifts that Jesus gives. And the way I landed on this was the more I studied the book of John, especially as I got to John 14 and 15, he kept saying, this I give to you, this I give to you. And so I started to see a pattern that Jesus gives us gifts. And he's very clear about what those gifts are. So I love gifts. I love to receive gifts. I love to give gifts. And when I go to my mom's house up in the mountains, we go about quarterly, and there's a drawer in a big chest of drawers. And in that top drawer, there's always gifts for me. And I'm always so excited to go see what is in there. It might be a little plate that she's broken that I could mosaic, or there's R-State magazines that she gives, on, gives to Brian, passes on to him. There's always little gifts. And so I love to receive gifts, and I love to give, give gifts. If you've ever looked at the five love languages, what I didn't review them all, but um, quality time, and acts of service, and touch, and and gifts, words of affirmation, mine is definitely giving gifts. And so if someone mentions to me, oh, I like something, so-and-so, I get out my phone and I make a note. And I know that Josh Hildebrand, my faithful sound person and video guy, he likes Haribo gummy bears. <laughs> he said one day, I like Hari Haribo gummy bears, and I like I made a note. And when he nailed the promo video that y'all saw, I think three times, when I saw what a great job he did on that, I got him a case of them at Sam's Club <laughs> because I love to give gifts. And Josh, these are for you. He, hasn't shared. he shared a few with his family. Ethan said he did share just a few. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll take them, you'll eat them. And so we all love presents. And the most popular holiday is Christmas because we give and receive gifts. And I have some props up here. 
These represent the gifts that Jesus gives us, and they're not for our stomach or our, our um, they're not clothing or jewelry or, or anything like that, but they're gifts for our soul. He gives us gifts for our soul. So this is on your handout, Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? All things. We're just covering what we can cover in two weeks worth. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? If God was willing to give his own son for us, he's willing to give a lot to us. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? So these are the gifts that we're gonna study Love, joy, peace. And it was so amazing when Miss Phyllis gave that prophetic word on Sunday and she said, God wants to give you gifts. The first four things she said, and I had already made this slide, she said, love, joy, peace, comfort. And I about fell out because it was just God's way to, to remind me, Lisa, you're on the right track. You're on the right track. So comfort, friendship, Holy Spirit. So that's what we're gonna cover tonight. And then the rest we'll cover next Wednesday night. So the first gift that we'll talk about is the most obvious one, and that's love. This is my little rescue dog, Coco. She's a bit neurotic. I had a bunch of ladies over to my house to, last night and I had to put her in Hannah's room because she just doesn't make friends easily. It, it's a long process to become Coco's friend. You have to get down on her level and Joshua's been able to do it because he comes over and hangs out with Greg. But Coco loves me. Now, how do I know this? She follows me around all day long. Everywhere I go, Coco is there. And even when I'm angry at her, when she's barking her head off at six in the morning before I've had my coffee, she still loves me. She takes a nap with me every day. And every time when I come home, she greets me like she hasn't seen me in forever. And I think a dog, if you're a dog lover, Miss Judy, you know, a dog is an amazing picture of unconditional love because nobody loves you quite like your dog does. And I love the quote, Lord, help me be the person my dog thinks I am. <laughs> you know, your dog thinks you're amazing. We wanna be those people. But we all have a need for love and acceptance. We have areas of insecurity and we struggle to fit in. We wanna be good enough. And I, and I always say when I'm teaching, if you wondered tonight or when you went to an event lately, if you said, if you texted a friend and said, what are you wearing? Then you might have a little bit of insecurity there because you weren't secure enough in who you were to just show up the way you wanted to be. So we all have some little areas of insecurity and the world beats us up. So if you don't have any tonight, you might have some next week because the world beats us up. So we all have this need for love and acceptance. And this is on your handout, it's John 15, nine. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. So this was a statement that I came up with to summarize this section 
on the gift of love. Our need for love and acceptance is not met by the imperfect love of broken humans, but only by the perfect love of an amazing God. And so many times we turn to people to meet that love and acceptance, and they're imperfect just like we are. And so they can only love us imperfectly. But God loves us with a perfect love, and He's the only one that can 100% meet that need for love and acceptance. So the word love in the Greek is agapio, and it means to love, of course. It's from the noun, I think it's agape, it's a love that values and esteems. And if you were in the Ephesians Bible study, you may remember this definition that's on your handout. It's from the Vines Dictionary, which is another resource I use. It's an unselfish love ready to serve. So how did Jesus love us? And on your handout tonight, there are a lot more of the cross references. I just gave them to you so you didn't have to scribble them down. Thank you. You're welcome, Marlene. I know you appreciate that. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. So that is the greatest picture of what love is, laying down your life for your friends. Another cross-reference is Romans 8, 7 through 8. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I know when I think about who I was and what I had done and that I didn't deserve that kind of love, I'm just amazed that God saw each of us for who we were. He saw what we had done. And he knew, he knew that we would do those things and he sent his son to die for us anyway. And having a son, I can't imagine, I can't fathom what it would be like to send my own son to die for the sins of others. But that is how God loved us. He sent his son to die for us, John 3, 16, right? So I just want to encourage you tonight that no matter who you are and no matter what you've done, no matter what dark secret is in your past that you think, you know, if they knew that they wouldn't like me, they wouldn't love me or accept me. I just want to encourage you that God loves you. So I just want you to just shut your eyes for a minute and be still and just drink in an unconditional love that loves you no matter what. And just let your soul receive that unconditional love. God, I just impart an unconditional love. God, I impart an understanding, an ability to grasp to hang on to, to understand an unconditional love. And we just wipe away all the memories of how we've been loved imperfectly. And God, I pray that you would impart in a supernatural way the ability to understand an unconditional love. In Jesus' name. I had a father that loved me unconditionally. There was only one time that I ever remember him saying something anywhere near harsh, and all he said was, I'm disappointed in you. 
And so I had an amazing example of unconditional love. And so I like to pray for people and impart that because my view of the Father is based on that. But even if you didn't have that example growing up, you can still receive God's unconditional love. He can teach you through a dog, right, Judy? He can teach us through a variety of ways. So my most supernatural experience of God's love, and, and we're, this is a charismatic church, so there are supernatural experiences, and I am God's shake and bake, flop and drop, because God tends to work through me through shaking, and there have been times I've argued with him over that, but I've just said, God, I'll be your shake and bake, I'll be your flop and drop, whatever you want to, better watch out. <laughs> He'll test me on it. I'm going, sometimes I'll say, I'm getting ready to go, and like Ryan will reach over and hold me, so I'm going to hold on. <laughs> but there was one time when Mary Esther had a Wednesday night series, and it was on worship, and it was on dance. And I was here, and I was just dancing around, minding my own business, and about right here in the center of the floor, it just struck me. Holy Spirit hit me, and I hit the ground, and I shook more violently than I've ever shaken before. And I was like, God, what, you know, what is this? And it was his love. It was just a supernatural manifestation of his love for me. And it was so intense, I had to beg him to stop. It hurt. And now that's kind of hard to understand, but it hurt. It was so intense, my physical body could not, could not contain it. And thankfully, he stopped. But that was the one time that I was able to feel a in a supernatural way the intensity of his love for us. And our finite minds can't grasp that. But his love for us is that intense. It's an unconditional love. So for application, this is a great question. Imagine what your life would be like if you could fully embrace God's unconditional love for you. So the next question is, what scary dream has been hiding in your heart that you would finally take a step of faith on? If you were just fully secure in God's love for you, what is it that you would do? What is it you would do? For me, I think an area where God is growing me this year is teaching live on social media. It terrifies me, and I've done it, but then you see certain people that pop on, and you think, well, what is she thinking about what I'm saying? And oh, you know, she, she doesn't even go to church. What is she gonna think? And oh, there's this family member, and it totally unnerves me, especially when the people pop on from high school that knew me before Jesus, because they're probably thinking, who does she think she is? And it totally unnerves me. But I feel like the next step that God has for me, I had three scary goals for this year when I did goal planning. And one was to ask Pastor Tom if I could teach on a Sunday morning. That was a scary goal, and, and, I, and I asked. And another was to um, send some things out to local churches saying, I'd love to speak to your ladies group. And my third scary goal is to teach live on social media. So I've got, what, five months left of the year? <laughs> so we'll see. But, you know, First um, John 4.18 that's on your handout says, there's no fear in love. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. So when, we're fully, when we fully embrace that unconditional love for us, we're not afraid of people. 
or things or outcomes. We're just completely secure in God's unconditional love for us. So let's go on to joy. So the context of this, I can't give it to you in fullness tonight, but it's from John 15, and that's that famous passage, I am the vine, you are the branches. And we're gonna cover that when we cover the seven I am statements that Jesus makes. But the context is abiding. And so if I were to summarize in one sentence the context, what, what, what he says in John 15, It says, the command to abide in Jesus and his love results in two things, bearing fruit, being fruitful for the kingdom, and supernatural joy. Two things. If we abide in his love, and this isn't anywhere on your handout, but it's good, bearing fruit (laughs) and supernatural joy. We're going to cover it in depth in a few weeks. So what is joy? In the Greek, the word joy, it basically means joy. But the root word for it means cheerfulness. So as I was thinking about this, I know we all have different personalities and um, different expressions of how we're feeling on the inside. And some of us are more bubbly and some of us are more serious because we're all made differently. But I just want you to ask yourself, do you have any cheerfulness on the inside? And I know that that can go up and down day to day based on when you got a text message and what they said and the bank account balance and when you got the headache. But but as you look at your life overall, is there joy? Is there some amount of cheerfulness whether, whether you show it or not? So let's see what Jesus said about joy. This is on your handout. It's John 15, 11. These things I've spoken to you, so that's summarizing everything he said, abide, I'm the vine, you're the branches, you'll bear much fruit. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So this picture here is a picture of my garden. And I remember when Pat Walls met me, I have a tendency to be intimidating. I don't get it because I know how much I struggle, but I can be intimidating and and turn people off a little bit. But when she looked in my backyard for the first time, she said, oh, I can like you, Lisa. (laughs) Now that I see who you are, because this is who I am. It is joyful and it is fun and it is creative and that is just the happiest place in the world. So this is where I walk in joy. But Jesus has joy that we can have in fullness. You'll see this word full. You'll see me mention it over and over. It's the Greek word, and I don't know how to say it, pleru, P-L-E-R-O-O. That's that word that means filled to the brim, filled all the way up, fullness. Jesus, of his fullness, we have all received. This is part of that fullness of Jesus that we talked about in John chapter 1 to fill to the brim. So some cross-references. Of course, we know that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. That's Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So it's number two, it's listed number two. And then this one is interesting. It's Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
So we might think of the kingdom of God as good overcoming evil, and it is that, but scripture says the kingdom of God is joy. Test, test, ooh. Do you wanna switch it or? Sorry, I'll, do you wanna do it? Test, test. Okay. Ooh. Thank you. Oh my goodness. So the kingdom of God is joy in the Holy Spirit. I think that's where I was. And then this is one of my favorite scriptures. And if, if you memorize scriptures, this is one to memorize. And I put it in the NIV because I learned it from a scripture memory song in the NIV. And it's on your handout. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. The God of hope, in the midst of hopelessness, the God of hope can fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. That's key. So that you may overflow with hope, and it's not by your own works or ability to muster, up, muster it up, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we can overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit as the God of hope fills us up. So as I study, the, study um, and prepare for a Bible study, a lot of times God will do what I call, he'll wreck me. <laughs> and I'll study something and I'll be so overwhelmed with the truth of it that I have to get up from my Bible study desk and I have to go sit on the little futon in the room where I study and I just have to sit and worship and I, I just talk to God. And this is one of the things that just really made me undone. And so this is what I wrote. And again, this is the summary from John 15, which we'll cover more. But it said, if I abide in Jesus, I can impact the world in extraordinary ways. This is the bearing fruit that we're told to do. But while doing this, I'm filled with joy, which is a fruit of the Spirit. And then that, again, spills out on others. We become a fountain of joy, a fountain of living water, a life-giving resuscitation for broken and floundering people. And so if you don't have joy, ask God to fill you up with joy. If you're not cheerful, ask God to give you a little bit of cheerfulness. I can lay hands on you because I've probably got too much silly, giddy joy. But thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm making peace with my joy level. So yes, the purpose of joy is not just for us. But it's to give joy to others because you never know what someone's going through. When you're at the checkout line, when they say, how are you? And you can talk about yourself, but then you say, and how are you doing today? Because you never know what kind of day somebody's having. We can give people joy. We can give them that cup of cold water in Jesus' name. So let's go to peace. So there's a story I've shared a couple times. I think, I know I've shared it in the food pantry. But when my son Greg was four years old, he got sick. 
And we ended up at Duke. His pediatrician didn't know what to do. We ended up at Duke. This is at Duke. This was not when he was sick, so a few months after. But he was so sick that I had to like do the valet parking because I had to carry him in the hospital. He couldn't walk on his own two feet. And so he was admitted, they did procedures, and then, then the nurse came to tell me a very devastating diagnosis. And I was not prepared for that. And she looked at me and she said, well, you seem strong. You seem like you can handle it. So then she you know, gave me the pamphlet and she told me all the medications he would be on and all their side effects. And all I could think about was my teenage son walking through all of those side effects. And I was, I was just a mess. Brian had to come up. I was alone. Brian had to come up and be with me. I was devastated and terrified. You probably have a similar story, maybe not a child, but maybe a spouse or a brother or a parent. We've all been in those situations that it's just too much for us. Jesus said in John 16:33, he said, in this world, we will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. So I'm sure you can relate. You've probably had times where you sat with your head down over your arms because you were having some trouble. When I was a little girl, I had this Holly Hobby doll. And when you're little, you know, life, did you have the same one? Yay. Life, when you're little, life is just an idyllic fairy tale because you, we, you haven't been introduced to struggles. And so you think about growing up and getting married and having children and everything is just good, which is probably good <laughs> for young children. But pretty soon you walk through this world and you experience this trouble that Jesus mentioned. Your marriage maybe didn't turn out as you envisioned, or maybe your health started to give way. You got a diagnosis of MS in your 30s. Maybe your finances, you went to school to get a degree to provide for your family and it didn't work out. Life can be hard. So I wanna go over a few verses with you because Jesus, during his last supper, and that's like about John 13 through 16 or so, he prepares the disciples because something is getting ready to happen to them that they didn't expect that nothing prepared them for. In John 13, 33, he says, little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. So I'm sure this raised some questions to them. He was telling them that he was going back to the Father. And imagine if you had walked with a man who was supernatural, who could raise the dead, heal the sick, turn water into wine, and then he says, I'm leaving you. That would be a heavy blow. And I'm sure there were questions going through their minds like, where's he going? Why can't I go? And how can I later get to where He's going, how can I get there? And he tells them in these scriptures that they're gonna weep and they're gonna grieve and they're gonna mourn because he's going away. But then he gives them an assurance for their troubled hearts. In this world, we'll have trouble. But I admitted 
the first part of the verse. And Jesus says in John 16, 33a, which means the first half, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. He's preparing them because in him they would have peace. Another cross-reference is John 14, 27, and this is where I saw Jesus giving another gift. He says, peace I give to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, and do not let it be fearful. And don't you know that as I was preparing this lesson, I'm having to walk it out? Because you can be having a great day, but when you get a text at 6.02 a.m. with bad news, suddenly your day can plummet. And you just have to hold on. You just, we'll go, I'll go through some steps to some application. But yeah, that's how it happens. Wearsby says, and this was on the handout, I thought it was so good. He said, God's peace is not like the peace that the world offers. The world bases its peace on resources, but God's peace depends on relationships. In the world, peace is something you hope for or work for. But to the Christian, peace is God's gift received by faith. Unsaved people enjoy peace when there is an absence of trouble. Christians enjoy peace in spite of trials because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our, in our lives. And that last one is me. <laughs> and I was... I have struggled in the past. When my children get sick, I get angry with God. That's just the pattern. And so I've been telling God, I hope I've learned, and I hope I'm better, and I hope I've matured, but I'm not really going to know until something bad happens. And that's where we have to learn for God to give us peace in spite of. Because when everything's going well, you don't need peace. But when you get the bad news, when someone hurts you, when the plans fall through, in spite of trials, because Holy Spirit lives in us and produces peace in us. It's a supernatural thing. And so I'm walking that out right now, and thank God so far I'm not angry, and I'm saying you're a good God, and I trust you. So what does peace mean? In the Greek, it means security, safety, prosperity, I can't remember where I got this definition. Probably the Strong's Concordance. It's the tranquil state of a soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. So it's assured of our salvation. And, and a big part of peace is being at peace with God. If you're at peace with God and you understand that His blood paid for all of your sin, it was one sacrifice for all sin, for all time, you have peace with God, and that is huge. And if you're not there tonight, if you're still struggling over past sin, current sin, come talk to Pastor Tom, come talk to me, let us, Pastor Terry, let us pray for you, because the world is hard enough without, you know, with peace, <laughs> with God. So we want to grow you to where you're able to just let all that be under the lamb. The Hebrew word peace is shalom, and it means completeness or wholeness. 
I've always liked when people said nothing missing or nothing broken. It's wholeness. And I thank God that he's faithful because there are times we're broken, but he's faithful to heal us and make us whole again. And I just testify to that. So cross-references. I think I've already said this one. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Let me go ahead and go to the next slide because I've summarized them. John 20, 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, this is after Jesus' resurrection, the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Ephesians 2, 14, he himself, this is talking about Jesus and how he made the Jews and Gentile into, into one. But it says he himself is our peace. Jesus is, is our peace. He himself, not somebody else. He himself is our peace. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So I just summarized um, the key words on the slide. In me, you may have peace. Jesus said, peace be with you. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace, my peace. He has peace to give. My peace I give to you. He himself is our peace and his peace rules in our hearts. So application. All of that sounds really good, I know, but it's easier said than done. Amen? It's easier said than done. Walking in peace, it, it's a challenge at times. And, and I confess, I, I'm very guilty. I can worry, especially about my children. And I always thought that little children, that's hard, but that's physically exhausting. But when your children are driving in other states, now that's hard to have peace. <laughs> we have the Find Friends app, and so we're like tracking them. Okay, he's in Dillon. Oh, he's in Florence. Oh, he's at the state line. You know, I just want my kids within my four walls so that I can have peace. But so often we feel unsettled. So in those times, you just say, this is our prayer. Jesus, help me now. <laughs> Jesus, help me now. Because there are times your heart will race and you're gonna worry. And you pray, Jesus, help me. He understands you are a frail human. That's why he said all these different times, I'm giving you peace. If he knew we would get it the first time, he would have just said that one time. But he said it over and over. In me, you have peace. My peace I give to you. My, I leave it with you. It's over and over. And you pray, Holy Spirit, fill me. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Fill me with your peace. And then sometimes you just have to ask for prayer. There are times when other people have to carry you. And that's where I was yesterday. My, my heart was in the pit of my stomach. And I was just struggling just to, to focus on what I needed to do. And I just had to tell some people, please pray for me. And so you ask for help. And there is no shame. Scripture says we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're not to walk through this troubled world alone. We pray for each other. There are times when other people have to hold up your arms because you can't hold them up yourself. And that's why it's important to be in a body and to fellowship and to be here. So the, the perspective, though, that helps us through it all 
And we'll probably cover this a little more next week when we talk about eternal life. This is on your handout. John 14, 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. This is Jesus talking. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That is our ultimate hope. When things look dismal and difficult, we can remember that we're citizens of heaven from which we eagerly await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven is our home. We are just temporary sojourners in this land. And so having that heavenly perspective will just help you because this is all temporary. It's just a vapor. Our life is just a vapor. So let's talk about comfort. So last fall, I had an opportunity to speak at a funeral home. And it was their annual, like, pre-Christmas service. And what they did was they lit a tree and gave out ornaments for all the families they had served that year. It's in um, Bergal, Wallace area. And so every family that it, they had served was invited to come. So there were about 200 people. And it's, I've never spoken at a funeral before. And this was different, but these were crying people. Some of them were your family members. And I had to offer them some kind of word of hope. And so my message was about how to have hope in grief. And some of it was that perspective, that eternal perspective. That was part of it. We all, the truth is we all experience loss in life. It may be the loss of a person that we loved. It may be the loss of a relationship. It may be the loss of an opportunity, the loss of a home, the loss of a business. We all experience loss in life. And some of you tonight have recently experienced loss and you're grieving. But the truth is Jesus gives us comfort. And on your handout, Isaiah 53, which is about the suffering servant Jesus, it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The pain that you feel, Jesus has carried it. He carried it to the cross. And then this is also on your handout, and this is abbreviated. It's Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. So Jesus came to comfort us. And as I studied this, I just really looked into how does Jesus understand grief? Does Jesus understand grief? Did Jesus have loss? Did he lose people that he loved? Well, we know that he lost his cousin, John the Baptist. And you might think, well, cousins aren't really very close, and sometimes they're not. But John the Baptist was the only one who really knew who Jesus was because God spoke directly to him, the one upon whom the devil lights, this is my son. So John the Baptist understood the identity of Jesus. I mean, even at the end of Jesus' life, he's still trying to convince the disciples that he's the Son of God. But John the Baptist knew by direct revelation from God. 
So think about the person who really knows you and knows your identity, knows who God says you are, not something about where you came from or is this the carpenter's son, nothing good comes out of Nazareth, Nazareth, but who knows who you are, who God says. That was John. And then he dies a violent death serving Jesus. So Jesus might have even felt somewhat responsible. He died because of me. He died because of my name. I think Jesus grieved over that. And scripture says he had to get alone. He had to get alone. So Jesus understands grief. And so because he understands it, he knows how to comfort us when we're grieving. He understands our weaknesses so he can offer comfort Jesus promises in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That is a promise. They shall be comforted. And grief is a process, and it takes time. And and where I was yesterday morning, I was in the shock part of it. I was in shock. And that's often the first step, and it's the process. But we can have hope in the midst. You can have hope in the midst of whatever pain you're walking through, big or small, knowing that Jesus will comfort you. And we're going to look at comfort a little bit more in terms of Holy Spirit in just a couple minutes. So let's talk about friendship. I'm going to smile a lot because this is happy. This is my best friend, Nicole. She was here a few weeks ago when I spoke on a Sunday morning. She knew me before Jesus. And this woman, when we travel together, she's very happy-go-lucky, whatever, and I've got my spreadsheet. I'm the logistics person. And so for years, she has had to cater to my whims. I tell her where we're going to eat. I tell her when we're going to leave and everything. And and she kind of likes it because she travels a lot for GE Power, and she likes not having to make any decisions. But this is a person who knows me and loves me anyway. And recently we had lunch together and she said three powerful words. This is what she said. She said, I choose you. She just looked at me and said, I choose you. And those words were just chocolate for my soul because there are some people that will not choose us. We are not everyone's cup of tea, not everyone will just look at you and say, I choose you. I loved that. And what was so neat about it, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. (laughs) So, you know, some people are gonna tolerate you. Your coworkers have to work with you. Your family is related to you. They have no choice but to be family. But then, and then your fellow Christians, they're commanded to love you, but some people choose you in spite of your quirks and your weaknesses and when you put your foot in your mouth. You know, I've hurt her. I have hurt her, I'm sure, over 30, almost 30 years. I've not been perfect. But some people will choose you, and we all have this longing, this deep need to be chosen, to feel good enough, to feel significant, to feel valued. And I wrote a blog post about this. Oh, come on. There you go. Oop, let me go back. This is my first time doing this on my phone. So your true friends are those that choose you. They know everything about you, but they choose you anyway. 
And so the day after my best friend sat in front of me and said, I choose you, this is what I studied in the Bible. It's John 15, 16. And Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And that just was more chocolate for my soul because I understood what it meant. I had just experienced it through an earthly friend. And then Jesus, the God of the universe, said he chose me. We studied this word in the Greek when we did the Ephesians Bible study. And it means to choose, to choose for oneself. It, it doesn't necessarily mean rejecting what else is there, but there's a purpose behind the choosing. God chose us. Ephesians 1, 4 says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. So before anything was created, you were chosen. You were chosen. You were good enough. You're valued. You're significant. You're worthy. And when Jesus, when I saw that scripture that, that said, Jesus chose me, it just, it brought tears to my eyes. That is why I love how God sets all of this up. Jesus chose us. Jesus has been with you. He's lived with you. You've heard him. You've probably heard him. Times when you've turned your back and walked away or ignored what he said. He's seen your bad side. You've failed him, but he chooses you. He still chooses you. I mean, if my physical friend could be faithful for 30 years, imagine what this supernatural God full of grace and truth can be to you. He chooses us. So why does Jesus choose us? Well, he wants us as his friends. John 15, 15, no longer do I call you slaves, but I have called you friends. So it gets better. Not only are we chosen, we're rehabilitated by the Holy Spirit, but we get to be friends with Jesus. We're friends. And again, as, I, as God was putting this all together, the scripture that I, that I came to next was Proverbs 18, 24. It's on your handout. There's a friend who sticks closer to a brother. So Jesus is closer than a brother. You know, sometimes family is all that's left, but Jesus is closer than even that. He'll be with us through thick and thin. He won't desert us. He won't stab us in the back. He won't ignore your text messages. He won't unfriend you on Facebook. He's going to stick close to you no matter what. So application, this is on your handout. So how can we be a friend to Jesus? There's a couple verses. He, he tells us about it. He says, you're my friends, and he puts an if. If you do what I command you, John 15, 14. And a couple verses above, he says, John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. So to be a friend of Jesus, we have to love one another. Sometimes that's hard. I'll just be honest. I know it's, it's hard sometimes or probably often for people to love me. But we have to love one another. And, and you might think, well, how can I just muster up love for someone? How can I be commanded? But love is not a feeling. It's a choice. 
We have to choose to love, even when people hurt us. We have to choose to go through that Matthew 18 process and work things out with people, even when we're hurt. Love is it's unselfish. That was the definition from Vines. It's unselfish. It's ready to serve. And that's hard for me, because I've got a lot of boundaries. <laughs> I've got a lot of boundaries. I can go really hard, but I need days alone. And when people want to meet with me on my day off, I'm like, ooh, that's hard. But there are times when we're called to, that love unselfishly serves. So this, this was amazing. I used a study by Chip Ingram, which my mentor, Arlene Casola, told me about. And this is what he said. I used it as I studied. The unimaginable reward of loving others and laying your life down for them is being a friend of Jesus. So as we serve the broken and the needy, as you minister to your family and your neighbors, as you go places and serve on the streets, as you teach, as you preach, as you serve in the food pantry, as you change diapers, as you cook dinner, however God, wherever God has you serving, the reward of laying your life down, the reward of loving one another is to be a friend of Jesus. The unimaginable reward. Imagine that, that people like us could be friends of Jesus. You are my friends if you do what I command you. As I have loved you, love one another. That is the unimaginable reward. And it's worth it. There are days when it's hard. There are days, pastors, the, the statistics say that most pastors tender their resignations on Mondays because they've just poured their heart out in a message on Sunday and didn't somebody text them and say, well, pastor, I think you took that verse out of context. Or pastor, I don't agree. Because you're very vulnerable after you share. And then when people tear you down, you're like, this isn't worth it. I can go get a corporate job. I can do something else. This is not worth it. There are days you want to give up. There are days you don't want to hand out food again. To, to people who may not seem like they're growing, even though you're serving and serving and, and they may not be growing. There are days you want to stop, but the unimaginable reward of laying your life down is you get to be a friend of Jesus. And it totally overwhelms me that someone like me, a weak and broken sinner like me, could be a friend of the Son of God. He is God. He chooses us to be his friends. So we're going to spend our last minutes together talking about Holy Spirit. And my preference is to call Holy Spirit by his name. Do I call you the Pastor Tom? No, you're Pastor Tom. I don't call my husband the Brian. I call him Brian. And so this is just my preference. I'm not going to correct anybody or think anything because sometimes I do say the Holy Spirit. But Holy Spirit is a person. Remember the triangle? This is God, but he's three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But he's a person. He's referred to as a person. He, but when he comes, the Spirit of truth. He's a person. So that's just my preference. You'll hear me say Holy Spirit said, 
instead of the Holy Spirit said. So in John 14 and 16, again, this is the Last Supper, and Jesus is letting his disciples know, I am going to leave you. He's preparing them. And he's saying, you know, these are hard things. You're going to weep. You're going to mourn. You're going to grieve. But then he, he gives them some good news. John 14, 16 through 17, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. In the Greek, that means of the same kind. Someone similar to me. I'm going to give you another helper. That he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. You know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And then the second verse is on your handout, John 16, 7. But I tell you the truth. I just can't imagine this. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Imagine that, a man that can raise the dead, and he's saying, it's to your advantage that I leave you. I'd be hanging on to him. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So how is it more advantageous to have Holy Spirit in us instead of Jesus with us? That's hard for me to imagine, but he's in us. So this word helper, this is on your handout. And again, I'm gonna go to, um, I'm going back to school this fall. I'm going to Regent. I have enrolled, I haven't signed up for classes, but I'm going to seminary and I'm gonna work on my Master of Divinity a semester at a time. We'll just, I don't know if I'll ever finish, but I'm just being obedient to the first step, which was to apply and enroll. Maybe it'll help me with my Greek word pronunciation. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> but I will learn how to say things like parakletos. I have no idea what I'm doing up here. But that's what the word is, this translated helper. It's used five times in the New Testament. Four of them are in the book of John. And it means one called alongside to help or assist, an intercessor or an assistant. I love that assistant because I always need help. And I always think of Pastor Willie when I think of this word because even as he said Sunday, if he sees someone in sin, he's going to call them to his side. Hey, come here. I want to talk to you for a minute. You know, this thing that you're doing, I don't see how it lines up with Scripture. You might want to pray about that. So it's one called to your side to help you, to assist you. It's also translated comforter, advocate, and helper. Wearsby says the Holy Spirit does not work instead of us or in spite of us, but in us and through us. And that's the important part. It's, he's in us, but he's in us for the sake of others, not just for ourselves. And this is on your handout because I'd never heard this before. Our English word comfort comes from two Latin words meaning with strength. We usually think of comfort as soothing someone, consoling him or her. To some extent, this is true. But true comfort strengthens us to face life bravely and to keep going. Isn't that neat? Comfort, Holy Spirit, comes to give us strength. And Jesus had told his disciples early in his ministry about the Holy Spirit, John 7, 37 and through 39. And, and this is the only time that I know in the book of John where it says Jesus cried out. This was an emphatic 
declaration. He stood and cried out. This was in the temple. He said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not glorified. So when we sing, spring up, O well, that is a well of living water that is living. It's within us. You can command it. Spring up, O well. Living water within you that can give life to other people. It's not just for you. It's for others. So this was kind of my summary as I studied all of this. Jesus sent Holy Spirit to live inside of us to manifest his presence, his personality, and his power. Presence, personality, and his power. We're mostly going to look at um, presence and personality. I guess when we do the, um, the seven signs, we'll see more of the power. Okay. So let's see. I kept, I was up before five this morning working on the handout and I don't know where I landed with this. I wanted to give you the references, but I didn't want to clutter up my slide. So we're going to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit. And you should have the references on your handout. Is that correct, Marlene? Okay, great. So I'm going to mention one, and then I'm going to read the scripture, because I want to read the scriptures for you. And I hope I got it in order. That's the hard thing, is getting everything in alignment. Okay. So he's the spirit of truth. And we already covered that in John 14, 16 through 17. He abides with us. He's in us. He will be with you forever. He'll be with you forever. He's the helper that comes to us. We don't have to go chasing him down. He comes to us. Where can I flee from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? It's in Psalm 139. No matter where you go, he's going with you. So we have the gifts of the Spirit, which are in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. I'm not going there because we don't have time to do that. And then there's the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Holy Spirit gives us these things. He teaches us all things. John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that is said to you. One area that God is stretching me right now is I'm so used to having all my notes and all my scriptures because I don't want to forget anything when I'm up here. And Pastor Tom has a mind like a steel trap. And when I remember a verse, I have to go to Google you know, the sun will set you free. <laughs> You'll be free indeed. I know that's John 8, I think. But I can't remember all those references. And so I want to be in control when I'm up here and have it all together. But God has been slowly making me step away <laughs> and to trust that he's, he's leading me into all truth. He teaches me all things. He's going to bring to my remembrance, even as we speak, what Jesus said. So I love that. You may, be, you may think that you're forgetful, but you have a Holy Spirit that lives in you that will remind you of what Jesus said when you're in situations. What did Jesus say about this? When I'm doing this Bible study, it always just amazes me, just the scriptures that pop into my mind. 
And so I always have to do the plug. That's because I've been studying this and hiding it in my heart. There are days that I don't study. Lots of days, especially lately, because I'm writing more. But I've hidden his word in my heart so that I might not sin against him. I think that's Psalm 119.11. My kids would know. We used to listen to a song about that. Okay, so he's going to remind us. So John 16.13, there it is. He, the spirit of truth, he'll guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will disclose to you what is to come. He will take of mine and disclose it to you. So he's going to tell us what's coming up. And sometimes he prepares us. There are times like my note card business was booming this spring and all these orders and new stores. And I was like, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. But then one of my big stores closed. And then it all made sense. He was preparing me for what was to come, that I wouldn't be like, oh, because I had already found new places to sell those little things I create. Romans 8, 26, this is about him interceding for us. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So in Hebrews, it says Jesus always lives to make intercession for you. And here we see the Holy Spirit is praying for you as well. And then lastly, 1 John 2, 1. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So he's an advocate. So in these last few moments, I want to share something that um, was something I hadn't ever thought of before. John 15, 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. So I think we can all agree that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, right? It's pretty clear. Acts 1, 8. But based on this scripture, where does it say Holy Spirit comes from? From the Father. He proceeds from the Father. The Greek word for proceeds means to depart out of, to proceed out of, or to come forth. So the best prop I could think of was a chocolate bar, because I've always got chocolate on my mind. <laughs> So this is a Hershey's Special Dark Chocolate Bar. It is homogeneous in its makeup. It's the same all the way through. It's chocolate all the way through. It's the same in every square. So imagine that this represents the nature or the character, the personality, the very makeup of the Father. It is the spirit of the Father. I'm not going to eat it in front of you because that would be cruel. <laughs> But Jesus breaks a square off, and if you were to taste it, it's the nature of the Father. This is the rest of it. This is the square. They're the same. Holy Spirit came out of the Father. Had you ever thought about that? I know we all laid in bed late at night and wonder, where did Holy Spirit come from? Now you know. He proceeds from the Father. And, and I know as we talk about the Trinity, 
You know, Jesus, we learned, was in the bosom of the Father, and they're face to face, and Holy Spirit comes from the Father. They are three in one, but Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. So my next, um, the next thing I started thinking about was, well, what do I know about Holy Spirit? What do I know about His nature? Because I think the Father's character is maligned. My goal in life is to tell you who I know the Father to really be based on my experience and the Word. So Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So where did all of those things come from? From the Father. That is what the Father is like. Holy Spirit has the same DNA, the same nature. He, you just sliced off a bit peace and Jesus sent him to the earth, but he comes directly from the Father. So when someone detects the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, when someone sees your joyfulness, they're experiencing the Father, because that's what the Father is like. He's joyful. He's not an angry God. So I did find some cross-references, and let's see, I don't know if I gave them to you. No, they're not on your handout. I'm just going to run through them really quickly. God is love, 1 John 4, 8. He's joy, Nehemiah 8, 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He's peace, Ephesians 4, 7. says the peace of God transcends all understanding. He's patience, 2 Peter 3, 9. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. He's kindness, Romans 2, 4. The kindness of God leads you to repentance. He's goodness, Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's gentle, Psalm 18, 35, your gentleness makes me great. He's faithfulness, Psalm 36, 5, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. And he's self-control, and I had to search a little bit. But where I landed with this was when um, King Solomon's heart turned away from God. God said, I'm going to you know, take the kingdom from you, but I'm going to let you enjoy it for the rest of your life. So God has self-control. So just think for a minute that the very nature of God the Father lives in you. We call him Holy Spirit, but he came forth from God. The God of the universe lives in you and in me. And that was one more thing where I had to go and weep again. <laughs> yeah. So in summary, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to abandon you. I may be gone in my physical body, but I'll be with you. Holy Spirit is Jesus and the Father expressed in us. So application Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. When I'm preparing to teach, fill me up, Lord. Fill me up, fill me up. Because again, it's not, just for, it's not just for us. This is a well that springs up for others. All of those fruit of the Spirit, that's how we love others. That's how we demonstrate that the nature of God is now part of us. So in closing, as we've talked about all of these gifts that Jesus gives us, and there are more next week, as we talk, think about the love, joy, peace, comfort, friendship, Holy Spirit, 
Which of these gifts do you need most in your life tonight? What is it that you need tonight? So let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that that Holy Spirit just came right out of you and that you live in us. It's a mystery to us, this Godhead three in one. But I thank you, God, that we can learn who you are because your word says who Holy Spirit is and who you are. And God, you are all the fruit of the Spirit and you choose to live in us. We thank you, Jesus, for giving us your peace love, joy, comfort. We thank you, Jesus, that you chose us and that the unimaginable reward of us laying our lives down is to be a friend of yours. I pray for each one tonight that what they need most from you tonight, that you would give them that gift in abundance. Every one of these things you said you would give us is right from your word. I didn't make it up. So I pray, Jesus, that you would give them what they need tonight because, Jesus, you give the best gifts. In Jesus' name, amen.